Welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the cases of Manchester Building Society and Grant Thornton, which has the citation 2021 UKSC 20, and also Carn and Meadows, which has the citation 2021 UKSC 21. And as you can tell from the title, this is a special double edition of the podcast that will be covering two different cases. However, I should say before we get started that although the facts of the two cases could not be further apart, the legal principles involved are both very closely related to the extent that the justices of the Supreme Court state that the two should be read together. They are both to do with the law of tort, and in particular the principle established in the famous case of South Australia Asset Management Corporation and York Montague Limited from 1997, that is probably better known to most law students as SAMCO. For background, the SAMCO principle basically distinguishes between those who negligently provide information and those who negligently provide advice about a course of action to take. Whereas those who provide negligent information are only liable for the consequences of that information being wrong, those who advise on a course of action are liable for all the losses that follow from that course of action. So with that at the back of our minds, let's jump into these two cases that we have on the docket today, and I think we will actually start with Khan and Meadows, because the facts offer a slightly better opening into the relevant legal questions. Back in 2006, Mrs Meadows went to her GP, because she wanted to know if she was a carrier of the haemophilia gene. Blood tests were carried out, and she was then negligently informed by the respondent, in this case Dr Khan, that she was not a carrier. A few years later, Mrs Meadows became pregnant, but after her son was born, it was discovered that he had haemophilia. If Meadows had known that she was a carrier, then things would have been quite different. She would have undertaken fetal testing for haemophilia, and if that had come back positive, then she would have had an abortion. In that situation, Dr Khan is clearly liable in negligence for the costs of bringing up the son, so far as the costs associated with haemophilia are concerned, However, the legal dispute here arose because, completely unrelated to the haemophilia, the son also has autism, and so the question was whether Dr Khan was also liable for the costs associated with raising the son because of the autism. After all, this was not something the family would have had to deal with if the abortion had gone ahead. So, when it comes to these questions under tort law, and whether there has been negligence, there are six questions that the courts should ask in order and we're going to review these in turn. Question number one is the harm, loss, injury and damage, which is the subject matter of the claim actionable in negligence. This is the actionability question. Secondly, what are the risks of harm to the claimant against which the law imposes on the defendant a duty to take care? And this is the scope of duty question. Thirdly, did the defendant breach his or her duty by his, her or her act or omission? That's the breach question. Number four is, is the loss for which the claimant seeks damages the consequence of the defendant's act or omission? That's the factual causation question. Fifth, is there a sufficient nexus or connection between a particular element of the harm for which the claimant seeks damages and the subject matter of the defendant's duty of care? as analysed at stage two above. That's the duty nexus question. And finally, number six, is a particular element of the harm for which the claimant seeks damages irrecoverable because it is too remote, or because there is a different effective cause, or because the claimant has mitigated his or her loss, 
or has failed to avoid loss which he or she could reasonably have been expected to avoid, and that's the legal responsibility question. Now that second question is really important here because it is telling us that the defendant will only ever be liable for losses that fall within the scope of their duty of care to the claimant. While Samco makes a distinction between advice and information, the truth is that there is a spectrum and things do not always easily fall into one category or another. The thing that the court is ultimately trying to understand at this stage is what risk the advice or information was seeking to address. In that sense, there is a close connection between that second question and the fifth question which, as a reminder, asks if there is a sufficient nexus or connection between the harm that has been done and the scope of the duty of care. Following the decision in Samco back in 1997, the question that the courts ask at this stage is what would the claimant's loss have been if the information which the defendant in fact gave had been correct? So given that context, how did the court answer each of these six questions in this particular case? Well, in the first instance, we know that the costs associated with raising a disabled child are actionable in a court of law. For the second question, Dr. Khan did give advice, and that advice was to do with the risk that a child would have haemophilia. In relation to that advice, Dr. Khan did owe a duty of care. For the third question, there was then a breach of that duty of care. And for the fourth question, there was a causal link between the negligent advice given by Dr. Khan and the birth of Mrs. Meadows' son. In terms of the fifth question, the justices decided that Dr. Khan did not owe a duty of care with regards to unrelated risks during the pregnancy, such as autism. To answer the hypothetical question from the Samco case that we mentioned above, if Dr. Khan's advice had been correct and everything else remained the same, then Mrs. Meadows' son would still have been born with autism. Finally, in answer to the sixth question, Dr. Khan is ultimately liable for the costs of raising a child with haemophilia. That gives us an idea about how the legal principles surrounding tort law work, but before we move on to our analysis, it is worth also briefly discussing the other case in this double episode, Manchester Building Society and Grant Thornton. Here Grant Thornton were a set of accountants who negligently advised the building society to prepare its accounts using a method that is known as hedge accounting. However, hedge accounting did not accurately reflect the financial position of the building society. When the negligence was discovered, they had to settle a number of interest rate swap contracts early at a staggering cost of over £32 million. Even though the facts of the two cases are very different, you can see at this stage that they are both dealing with negligence and raise questions about the scope of the defendant's duty of care. Once again, the supposedly clear distinction between advice and information found in Samco is not especially helpful because it's more of a spectrum between advice and information on either side. For simplicity's sake, we will use the word advice, and the advice from Grant Thornton here was that the building society could use hedge accounting. Of course, that was not the case, and so the justices held that the trial judge was entitled to conclude that the negligent advice was a cause of the £32 million loss. As far as our own analysis goes, I think that it is important to note that although the Supreme Court was unanimous in terms of the decisions that it reached in both cases, there were concurring judgments that placed a different emphasis on other aspects of the process for working out negligence. For example, Lord Burroughs seemed to place a much greater focus on the duty of care, 
because this can give a much more helpful indication of the risk and loss of the parties. On the other hand, Lord Leggett's concurring judgment focused more on factual causation and noted that judges should be careful when applying the what-if question from Samco because it is essential that it reflects the risk assumed by the parties. In these cases and for many of the others, the question of where the courts place their focus will ultimately be much of a muchness as it leads to the same overall conclusion. However, it would have been good to get a bit more clarity from the Supreme Court for those minority cases where the distinction can make a difference. For me, I think the justices do get close to this, and perhaps down the line they will realise that almost all of them were pushing at the same open door. If we are looking at the risk and the loss of the parties, then I think that we can basically split these two points up. And so for the risk, there should be a greater focus on the duty of care, because the scope of that duty is also the boundary of the risk assumed by the defendant. Meanwhile, the loss is what happens as a result of the negligence. There has to be some follow-through, and so here it is helpful to focus on the causation that exists, or maybe does not exist in any given case. Either way, it was good to get some clarification from the court about the status of Samco after all this time. The question posed in that case is a useful tool for judges to have in their armoury, but is certainly not a be-all and end-all, and must be applied carefully in cases where there are difficult questions to answer around duty and causation. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks including more content from me each week, and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. If that sounds like something you're interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!